Welcome to the Mean Lady Talking Podcast. This is the podcast that tackles tough questions about relationships, life, love, and loss. It may not be the advice you want, but it's probably the advice you need. And now here's your host, grief therapist, motivational speaker, relationship expert, best-selling author, and attorney, the not really mean, mean lady herself, Susan J. Elliott. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Susan Elliott, host of Mean Lady Talking Podcast. And again, thank you very much for those of you who have been supporting me through my recent respiratory illness that has rented me without a voice for almost two weeks now. I wanted to uh, try to get some thoughts down. I just finished a codependency boot camp and I have another one coming up in a couple of weeks. If you're interested, it's about to close. I think I have almost enough people, but if you really want to join the boot camp, we just ended a really terrific one, uh, the codependency boot camp. Uh, please write to Mean Lady Talking Podcast at gmail.com and get the registration form into me right away because I think we're just about full. So I want to make sure that it gets everybody that it can. We just had this absolutely wonderful experience with this last codependency boot camp. The work was amazing that people did. I recently wrote a post entitled Codependency Kills. And it may seem like a dramatic title, but it's not. Because I've been a certified grief counselor since the mid-1990s, and I've counseled many families in which someone driven to despair, many times over a breakup, commits suicide. When I was in early recovery for codependency, an in-law's brother killed himself. I knew from knowing them as a couple that they were deeply enmeshed. And it shook me to my core because I was in the same dark place he was when my own man marriage ended. Thankfully, I had a wonderful therapist who talked to me in off the ledge. The best definition of codependency that I've ever heard comes from Melody Beatty, who said that the concept is that you begin and end someplace and I begin and end another place. And that concept, which is the key to all healthy relationships, is lost on codependence. In a codependent relationship, the partners are enmeshed and have no idea who owns what. In getting back out there, I discuss ways for couples to settle agreements. And one of the most important ingredients to a successful relationship is knowing who owns what and who is responsible for what. In a codependent relationship, no one seems to know how to answer that. Unless and until you address your codependency, healthy relationship is not possible. People need to do it with their kids. I see people all the time doing things for their kids. And it's like, why are you doing it? Why, if you have a 16-year-old with a license, why are you getting their pizza? Why are you making their nail appointments? Why are you driving them to basketball games when they have their own car and they have their own license? Why are you doing things for kids that they should be doing for for yourself why are you why are you driving a 10 year old to the bottom of the driveway it's ridiculous i see some of the things that parents do for kids these days and i'm like why don't we just wrap them in cotton until they're 18 and then you know they can run in front of a car because they're not going to be able to do anything none of them know how to do anything they're just all helpless i'm like why are we doing all these things for these kids it's ridiculous I mean, they don't even have to walk to the library anymore. It's like, we don't even make them walk to the bottom of the driveway. Oh, I'll drive you down to the bottom of the driveway. Are you crazy? Kids should be walking to the bottom of the driveway. That's it. Anyway, in a codependent relationship, the partners are in mess and have no idea who owns what. Codependents, especially codependent parents, are famously exhausted emotionally, physically, financially. I had a therapist who told me that I was a nut 
I was not in charge of running the universe. She said, it's hard work and you're overworked and underpaid. It's time for you to quit or I'm going to fire you. And so that began my recovery from codependency. It was the best job I ever got fired from. Codependents take care of everyone and everything to their own detriment. They have loosely drawn boundaries, if any, and they move their standards to accommodate other people's inability to do things. Oh, well, you can't commit to me? Okay, well, I guess I'll take that standard off the board then. And that's not the way it has to be. In this last boot camp, we worked very hard on standards and compatibility. And I keep telling the group, you have to commit to it. You have to commit to it. You have to commit to it. Codependents get their self-esteem from doing for others, often taking on responsibilities that are not theirs, and they just hope it will be appreciated. But even when it's not appreciated, they're unable to stop. They're very enmeshed, and they are masters of people-pleasing. They're trying to get others to like them and appreciate them. But that's not what happens. That's not what happens at all. The exact opposite happens. People take advantage of codependence all the time. When I became a therapist, it seemed as if codependency was a dirty word. Professors in graduate school and my bosses at mental health agencies would insist there was no such listing in the diagnostic manual, the DSM. And as a clinician who did evaluations day in and day out, I knew that that was true. I couldn't find codependency in the DSM, and so I couldn't put it on an evaluation. But that didn't mean it didn't exist or that it wasn't a client's presenting problem because many times that's absolutely what it was. I would use the catch-all adjustment disorder diagnosis, and I would never ever write codependency on an evaluation. My boss would have gone through the roof, but it's still very real. And when I had people in my practice that I had given an adjustment disorder, adjustment disorder is really a catch-all diagnosis. It's just, you know, somebody who's a little dysfunctional. It's nothing, nothing serious. And, but I would know that, Codependency is very real, even if it is not in the DSM. It's a learned set of behaviors in response to another's dysfunctional behavior. Originally, partners of alcoholics were identified as co-alcoholics, and that evolved into the term codependence sometime in the late 1980s. It was not confined to the spouses of alcoholics, but also children in alcoholic homes. And later it widened even further as codependents behave, codependent behaviors were identified in families in which alcohol or substance abuse didn't exist. Many times the family would just be chronically dysfunctional. They didn't really have any mental illness that rose to the level of a true disorder or diagnosis, but they would be chronically dysfunctional or sometimes some Somebody would have a mental illness and then the rest of the family would rally around the person with the mental illness. A codependent is somebody who likes to rescue and help and they enable the alcoholic, the drug addict or the dysfunctional person or the mentally ill person or the person who is chronically underemployed or under responsible and not doing what they're supposed to do. And the codependent is the person who's completely and fully pulling them up, you know, trying to get them to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps and the person is just not doing it. So 
the other person, the person with the issue is never really forced to confront their destructive behavior because the codependent's right there cleaning up the mess. Codependents have low self-esteem. They don't think that they're ever enough, which is why they do, 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 do for everybody else and think that everybody else is going to love and appreciate them, you know, because they're just doing, doing, doing. But people pleasing is a symptom of codependency. Because of their chronically low self-esteem, the codependent tries to please everyone. This is one reason they cannot ask others to take responsibility for their actions. If they don't enable them, they don't have anything to do and they feel worthless. There is no such thing as a bored codependent. They are addicted to chaos and dysfunction. They have to rescue and help, even when it amounts to enabling someone so that that person can continue their dysfunctional behavior. Codependents never insist that the project person, the problem person, face the consequences of their actions. An example is when someone is hungover or high or acting out and can't go to work. The codependent will call the boss and make excuses. They never allow anyone to face the consequences of their actions. The cycle continues until it all falls apart until it all falls apart and someone finally gets help. Either the codependent has had enough and walks out or the addict gets help or whatever happens. But once one person changes, the other person has to change as well. No matter how hard codependents try and how much responsibility they take on, they still feel incomplete. Saying no is something they simply can't bring themselves to do. They think all these terrible things like this person won't love me anymore, even if it's their child. Like if I say no to my child. And mothers and fathers not only have the right to say no to their children, but they should say no to their children. They should teach their children boundaries. They should teach their children they don't get everything they want. That's how you bring responsible, healthy children into the world, by saying no to them. You cannot say yes to a child their entire life and spoil the crap out of them and then expect them to be healthy, responsible adults because it's not going to happen and you're going to be responsible for that. So stop doing for your children. Let them do for themselves. Codependent parents go out of their way to do for their children who should be doing for themselves. When I was recovering from codependency, somebody told me I was a human being, not a human doing. Codependents can't shake the human doing aspect. When they stop doing, they become very anxious. It's a state that becomes almost unbearable. Codependents feel compelled to do something about something. Someone once told me that Henny Penny was the first identified codependent. The sky is always falling. Codependents have incredible difficulty with boundaries. They do not understand that they begin and end one place and other people begin and end and other places. One of the letters that I was telling people about in my last podcast was about these two baby mamas who wanted to get their baby daddy out of jail and then he had to decide which one he wanted this entirely ridiculous ridiculous scenario let's let lose a boyfriend decide who he wants ladies get it together don't be stupid any any 
any person in the world could have this loser. Why are you fighting over him? He's a mess. Leave him alone. Get your act together and move on. God. So the grandmother was going to also jumped into the fray and was going to help him out with his bail. These are three women who needed to let this guy fall on his face, stay in jail. No one bail you, him out. What are you all thinking? What are you all thinking? Do not, do not, do not let these people out of their responsibilities. God. Anyway, codependents become enmeshed with others and swept up in their problems. They become extremely reactive and they take on other people's feelings. They sometimes take on people's feelings that aren't even there, like this guy with the bail. He doesn't care less. He knows that there's three ladies out there, three normal ladies who are otherwise normal, running around trying to get him sprung out of jail. He doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to be responsible for his life. He doesn't have to know anything. He's got people that are going to clean up his crap until till he's like old and broken down. Give me a break. He's not the one that needs to come to terms with anything. It's these ladies, all three of them, even the great grandmother. She's a mess. Leave him alone. He's like, let him stay in jail. Ugh. Healthy people could dismiss a negative view or criticism and understand that people are entitled to their own opinions. Codependents take the heart and dwell on it. Like if somebody said, oh, if you were a good girlfriend, you would have gotten him out of jail. A codependent woman would like perseverate on that. And, oh my God, am I being a good girlfriend? Am I not being a good girlfriend? Because it's hard to say, honey, sweetie, lovey pie, you got yourself into jail. Get yourself the frig out. Because that's what a healthy person would say. You got yourself in there. Get yourself out. Whether it's your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, no matter who it is. They got themselves in there. Let them get themselves out. That's what a healthy person does. Codependents are attracted to project people and problem people. They continue to try to control and caretake and make everybody else's problems and issues their own. They need to be needed. Without that, they have no identity. That is why being alone is so difficult for codependents. They have no one to rescue or to help, and their identity is so caught up in what they do for others that they're left with a blank, and that sends the anxiety through the roof. Codependents thrive on chaos. Therefore, they thrive on having relationships with projects people because it gives them something to do and worry about, which is why being alone terrifies them. When I was recovering from codependency, my therapist told me to make peace with the peace, and it's one of the hardest things for a codependent to do. But to continue in codependency will link will lead to anger, resentment, anxiety, depression, hopelessness, helplessness, despair. Codependents are incapable of having a healthy relationship when they are active in their codependency. They need to recognize how harmful codependency is and they need to rectify it and then go on and have a happy, healthy life. To break free of codependency, codependents need to understand that there is a way out, but they have to be committed to recovery and to letting go of project and problem people. They have to build up their self-esteem so that they do not need to rescue someone else to be needed, to be loved, to be cared for. 
There is a communication pattern that codependents and their partners engage in, and it's important to learn new ways of communicating, especially the ability to say no. It's important to have boundaries. Very, very important. It's one of the most important parts of the GPYB program is boundaries. You have to be comfortable enough to not take care of someone else to the point where you're doing things for them that they should be doing for themselves and you're not taking care of you as you need to be. You must build your self-esteem to know that who you are and not what you do is what is good enough. Be a human being and not a human doing. You are enough without turning yourself inside out for someone else. As it says in Getting Back Out There, know who owns what and refuse to do things for people that are not yours to do. Recovery from codependency is possible and it leads you to a life that is second to none. You can do this. One of the things that we really need to do and we need to do it well is we have to recognize our own self-worth. We have to affirm that we're good and we deserve good things and we need to treat ourselves with dignity and respect. Whether we're a little bit codependent or a lot codependent, when we treat ourselves with dignity and respect, we become used to that and that is what we start to know and anything else feels uncomfortable. Therefore, once we treat ourselves right, we learn to insist that others treat us right as well. One of the best reasons to spend time with ourselves in between relationships is learning about us, what we like and what we don't like, who we are and what makes us happy, sad, annoyed, angry, lonely, upset. It's only when we know what our needs and wants are and how they are different can we ask another to meet our needs and occasionally meet our wants. When we don't know, when we're confused, we attract other confused people and our combined confusion butts head. Two people who do not know what they want spend a lifetime blaming the other for their inherent emptiness. When we learn to fill ourselves up, we not only become less dependent on others to fulfill us, but we attract more filled up people who demand less from us. And as recovering codependents, we need people who don't need us. That's what we need. We need filled people. When we know and accept ourselves, we meet others who know and accept themselves and we can accept each other. When two fulfilled and self-reliant people meet and fall in love, unmet needs and those struggles to get from someone else what they do not have to give us ceases to be our reality. And we are no longer in those bad, needy relationships where two people cannot fill the other one up. When we are able to clearly and plainly state what we do and do not want, what we do and do not need, what we can and cannot accept, the game playing, the boundary violations, and the confused bunch all disappear from our lives. When we know what we want, we get it. Spend time with you. Learn about you. Journal about you. 
go for a walk, spend time sitting alone without a phone, without a computer, without any music, without any outside distraction. Do this on a regular basis. Learn to tune to the inner voice, which will tell you what you want and what you need. And it will tell you to fulfill yourself and to ask for things from others. Learn about you, then love you. Do your affirmations as GPYB teaches. Monitor your self-talk. Set your goals and your dreams. Do your standards and compatibility inventory. And never, never, never settle for less again. Not from you and not from anyone else. To build your life, you must start with A, affirmations and positive self-talk. Very important. Build your confidence to try new things. Affirmations and positive self-talk come before all else. Two, journal keeping. Always, always, always keep your journal. Support groups, all kinds of support groups, meeting different kinds of people in different places as well as workshops, retreats, conferences. And we do online boot camps and we are flung all over the world. But several of my boot camps have met in person. People are friends for life. So you can have support groups and I suggest people go to Al-Anon, people go to CODA, people go to different programs that they want. There are also a lot of church groups have support groups and there's also some non-spiritual, non-religious recovery organizations. Look in your community, look in your church, look on online. There are many workshops, retreats, conferences. There's 12-step meetings. There's non-12-step meetings. There's church grief groups. There's different things. If you don't like one meeting, a workshop or a seminar, try another. Putting yourself out there is hard, but the rewards are worth it, especially when you meet people with similar goals that making life better. Paid events and conferences. I read a lot of different authors and I would find out where they were, where they were speaking, where they were doing a workshop, where they were doing a weekend seminar. I did it with John Bradshaw. I did it with Melody Beatty. I did it with um, with uh, John Bradshaw. I did it with Stephen Levine. I did it. I was like, you know, like a, a deadhead that ran around like with different people and different seminars. And I would go see different people speak. And that's what I did. I was a single mother and I was not getting any child support. And I put away $60 a week for my therapist before I pay for anything else. It was a lot of money at the time. But people spend oodles on weddings and they have no guarantee they'll be married forever. I invested in my emotional health and I passed that health to my children, the most important people in my life. If there's a recovery workshop, a retreat or a conference that you want to go to, save for it. When people tell me that the GPYB boot camps or workshops are too much money and they are a bargain, trust me, I have no idea how a life-changing workshop can ever be too much money. And I'm not saying you have to invest your recovery in just GPYB. You could do it for anything. But a workshop, when you're doing a work, a life-changing workshop and the ones that I did with Stephen Levine and John Bradshaw and all of those that I did, they were life-changing for me. I was a single mom. I didn't have a lot of money and I saved up for it and I invested on it because the money I spent on therapy workshops and seminars was forever money, money that made me forever strong. Where would I be if I allowed finances to dictate my self-care? I would not be here talking to you right now. I would be in a corner somewhere drooling 
drooling on myself. My therapist said that if I didn't take care of myself, I couldn't take care of anyone else. I did weekends with John Bradshaw, Melody Beatty, Stephen Levine, John James, and others. I did plenty of other workshops, retreats, and seminars, both locally and long distance. And I've talked about this. I did a 12-step event in Reno, Nevada, where I knew no one when I arrived on Friday night, and I left with like 30 new friends on Sunday. I had the blast of a lifetime. Not only was the conference money, but the hotel and the flight out there, I had saved for months for this trip, and I was so glad that I did. Spend money where recovery happens. Please check out these things. It's so much easier than when I was doing it. Before the internet, I had to really work hard to find out where these things were happening. It wasn't easy. Social groups, go to hobby groups, go to reading groups, book clubs, in-person book clubs, go to someone's house once a week and share about novels. These are incredible when you get the right group of people. As with anything, if you don't like one group, go find another. I learned how to make soap, scrubs, and lotions. I accidentally put some of my soaping vids on my GPYB channel. I've taken most of them down, but I've kept a lot of my old soaping videos up for people. There is something about doing something that is creative that really helps you, especially if you're not a creative person. I really don't have a lot of creative bones in my body, but I really, really got a, a, a really had so much that soaping and anything I did when I did painting or anything like that, when it came out right, it, it really helped. I also joined a basketball league for a couple of years. I'm five foot one and I joined a basketball league. It was a lot of fun. I did it for two years and I just had a great time. I also belonged to some meetup groups when I came back to New York City and my hu husband Michael was still in Texas trying to sell a house. I went to baseball meetups, theater meetups, and I had a client in Oklahoma who went to museum meetups and she was so happy with her new friend. She stopped having therapy with me. It was like she was so funny. I mean, she was just so happy. And, you know, I also took academic classes as well as fun classes. In the early 90s, there was a guy named Bob Ross who did a me method of painting called Wet on Wet, and I loved it. And I found a craft store that offered classes on the Ross method, and I... I did the, the Ross painting and I still have it and I've had pictures of it. Uh, I loved it. I learned to crochet. I learned to do ceramics. I learned Italian and I traveled to Italy once by myself. Um, and I not only saved up the flight, but the flight made three stops, including a seven-hour layover in London, which sounds horrible. But I made friends with someone on the plane and we had a blast. She spoke a little bit of of English and I spoke a little bit of Italian and we just had the best time together. Um, I took a photography course at a university and then I went to Sicily on a photojournalism tour. I mean, I could have never afforded that student. The student rate was so cheap. I could have never afforded Sicily without the student the student rate. It was amazing. Did things like that. I took other trips. I traveled by train all around the country. There's nothing like going across the country, up and down the coast, like a train trip and a sleeping car. Just absolutely amazing. I renewed my motorcycle license when I was in my 30s. I had ridden as a teenager and later on I had given it up and then I went back to it. It's like I got new motorcycle and I did a lot of trips. I did my me night once a week. I I joined a gym. I joined another gym, went places. I did things. I've gone to museums. I've gone here. I've gone there. And then the other thing, after all of this, after all these 
things that I'm telling you about right now. The other thing is sit still and do nothing. Sit still and do nothing. In addition to building a life where you have a whole bunch of stuff, learn to make peace with the peace. Learn to be quiet and sit still. Learn to be bored. Learn that sitting there and doing nothing is okay. You don't have to be entertained or enthralled every minute. Learn to just be. Turn off the computer, turn off the cell phone, turn off any music device, any iPad. Spend some time each and every day unplugged from everything. And if you have trouble being away from all forms of communication, that's even more reason to force yourself to do it. You need quiet time to figure out what you want. Life is about living. It's not about waiting for a call or a text or an email or someone to touch base with you. Develop quiet, unplugged time every single day. Not now and again, but every single day. This makes such a difference if you cultivate this. You become less beholden to all the electronic machinery and more in touch with yourself. Go for a quiet walk, absolutely no electronics, or go sit and relax and meditate. Go to a Zen garden or something similar. Get quiet, go inwards, learn about you. If you put your phone down and away from you and find yourself getting anxious or just itching to get back to it, it's a problem. The longer you can do without it, the longer you learn to do without it and you can get in touch with you. Get outside and live a little or stay in and just learn to be, again, with everything turned off. If you live where there's public transportation, try to be on the train or the bus and just experience it. Don't look at a phone. Don't look at a computer. Don't look at anything. Just experience what's going on around you. Don't let life pass you by because your head is never where your feet are. I take public transportation all the time and I watch as people miss a lot of things because they're either jabbering away on their phone or they're texting like crazy people. They're losing the sights, the smells, the sounds of what is going on in their immediate vicinity. When we lose the ability to be good observers and to have good observers, observation skills. We lose what is essential to recovering to our well-being. Turn it off and start to observe. Let your head be where your feet are. Healing is about balance. Building your own life is about being good to you and learning to be alone with you and getting out and doing new things, meeting new people, going new places. Do it in balance or do it at the same time. Take a train trip alone and just watch the world go by. Is an example of getting out and doing stuff and learning to be okay alone. Think of things you can do to build your own list and do it. None of these things that I've talked about was easy for me to do. None of them. Each one was scary, but I learned to do it and it got easier, whether it was going to Europe by myself, whether it was going on a train by myself, whether it was taking a painting class and I'm the only one in the, in the class that doesn't know anything about painting. No matter what it was, it, I was nervous and, and I was anxious, but I did it. When I was a kid, my family used to ask me, who did I think I was all the time whenever I talked about taking classes or learning new, meeting new people or going places? They would always say, oh, who do you think you are? I had to get okay with going places and doing things. When I was married to my first husband, he criticized me constantly for having big dreams. 
but it was just about them keeping me down where they thought I was supposed to be and where I didn't want to be anymore. Building your life, getting out from under your codependency, whether you have a little bit of codependency or a lot of codependency, whether you're just discovering the amount of codependency you have, no matter what it is, you have to build your life. And build your list. Think of different things that you can do to change your life. I turned my life around. I got way outside my comfort zones. And you can too. You can do this. Build your life. Build your life today. And then you'll be busy focused on you. And you won't have to be busy focused on someone else. You can do this. Take care all. This is Susan Elliott signing off. Please write. If you have time, I appreciate any reviews for me, Lady Talking Podcast. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. Bye-bye.